Good morning, Bokertel. Welcome back to Pasture Perspectives for today. Thank you for your flexibility. I have a conflict tomorrow morning, so I appreciate it, but it's even earlier in the week that we get to examine and study the Pasha together. The Pasha series is generously sponsored. We're in deep appreciation to Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman, Leilu Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manash. A huge thank you to the Katz family. Today's shear is also sponsored by Dr. Golda Sadowski in honor of Review the Laban Doris Kurtzer, her dear aunt and uncle. Should be well. Thank you so much for that generosity and for the sponsorship. We have the privilege this week of beginning the fifth and final book of the Torah, the book of Devarim, Parshas Devarim, page 938 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. And let's begin with the name of the book itself. We all know the book as Sefer Devarim. That's how we know the name. But is that universally how it's called? Are there other options as well? So we begin with Otsar Plos HaTorah. He quotes the following. Sefer HaChamishi MeChamishi Chum Sheitor Nikrei B'Tfutos Yisro B'Shem Sefer Dvarim. Almost universally across the Jewish people, we all know this fifth, fifth book as the book of Dvarim. V'yesh L'Tzayin Shesham Ein Muzkar Klaab B'Makoros Chazal. But we should know Shem Zeh, this name is not quoted anywhere in Chazal. Midrashim that assign other names to the Torah or give names to the books as we know them does not call the book of Devarim. Doesn't appear Chazal, not in the Medrash, not in the Gemara. Umafia Shem Zela Rishon Harishon. The first time we see this name, the book of Devarim mentioned, is among the Rishonim. Look at the Radak, and look at the Riva, and look at the Paneach Raza, and others. He quotes, Omnam be Medrash Tanam, Medrash Rabbah, Kvar Nizkar Sefer Bashem Sefer Hadvarim. It's not known as the book of Devarim, it's known as the book of Ela. Hadvarim. These are the words. These are the dvarim. The Rambam in Hilchos Chagiga calls it Chumash Eila Hadvarim. This is the book of Eila Hadvarim, for example. What other names do we find for this book? Don't worry, the Otsar Plos HaTorah has collected and organized them for us. So, what's another name for the book of Dvarim? Mishnah Torah. Very good. Mishnah Torah. This Mishnah Torah appears in many places. It appears in the book of Dvarim itself. Perak Zayin in Dvarim. It calls Kosov Lois Mishnah HaTorah Zos Al Sefer. Write this Mishnah Torah. What does Mishnah Torah mean? Mishnah means repetition or review or second go around of the Torah. And among the Rishonim, we find this name mentioned. Mishnah Torah. Why is the name Mishnah Torah? Why is this an apt description? The Ramban writes in his Hakdama to this fifth and final book of the Torah. The Ramban writes, Because Moshe offers this monologue, this soliloquy, which we'll speak about in a moment, and in it he's speaking to the generation that are going to enter the land, and he tells them, here are the mitzvahs you need to be aware of. Here's what to be mindful of as you prepare and as you're going to enter the land. Kofel, kofel Veshona says the Ramban, he reviews, he repeats, he's going to go over the mitzvahs for this generation again. So Mishnah Torah, here we have the repetition of the Torah, the review, the summary of the Torah for the generation who's going to go in. So first it's called Dvarim, though we don't find that in Chazal, we find it in Rishonim. Eilah Dvarim. Second name, Mishnah Torah. Third name is Sefer Hayasher. The Gemara Mesechaz of Arizor Dav Chafei says, three opinions. Divri Yoshua, Yoshua said, Vayidom Hashem HaShviarech, Amar Adyikom Goyoyvav, Haliksuva Asefer Hayasher. Rabbi Elazar says, Sefer Hayasher, Zez Sefer Mishnah Torah. Why is the book of Dvar and the fifth book of the Torah called Sefer Hayasher? We usually think of the first book. Bracious, another nickname of Bracious, Sefer Yashar. Why is it called Sefer Yashar? Because it includes the mitzvah of the Pasuk, Ve'asisa Hayashar Atov, Be'nei Hashem. When we don't know what to do, when the dilemma that we face, what act should I take? What's my behavior? What's the judgment I should show? What's the right thing to do? The Torah can't legislate and regulate every single possibility that could come up. Sometimes we'll face decisions, we'll face dilemmas that the Torah could not specifically spell out, what do we do in those moments? So this is the book that includes that Pasuk, which is the overarching, the umbrella policy of Torah, which is when you don't know what to do, stay on the straight and narrow. Do what's appropriate, what's right. Ask yourself, what would Hashem want you to do? What will give Nachas Ruach to Hashem? What does Hashem want for you in this moment? Since it includes this Pasuk, 
Another name is Sefer Hayasher. So Dvarim, Elah Dvarim, Mishnah Torah, Sefer Hayasher. Number five is Tana de Be'eliyahu. The Medrash Tana Be'eliyahu calls this book Sefer HaTochechos. This is the first Musr Sefer. This is the book of Musr. Why is it called Sefer HaTochechos? We'll see in a moment the very opening Pasuk of our Parsha of this fifth and final book tells us these are the things that Moshe spoke to the Jewish people. And Rashi tells us Moshe was embedding Musr, subtle, nuanced, soft, generous, gracious, kind. He had Musr, he had rebuke to offer, he had feedback to give, but he didn't give them a big zetz and punim. He didn't give them a big stark Musr, yell and scream and you're going to burn and you know who you are and you lowlife icevarf, good for nothing, rejects. I can't believe the way you behaved. He was trying to lift him up. How did he lift him up? By not explicitly expressing their failures and shortcomings, but by alluding to them, by referencing them. He lifted them up by saying, we both know where you went wrong. We don't have to spell it out, but we can do better. Let's do better. So Tana Be'elio calls this book, Sefer HaTochachos. This is the book of the book of Musr. So here we have many, many names, the possibilities of what the name of the book is. This book, Eilah HaDvarim, Moshe's monologue, Moshe's soliloquy to Klal Yisrael before his demise and before they transitioned to enter the land. How long was this speech? I had a friend visiting this past Shabbos, a fellow Rav from New Jersey. He heard me in one of the minyanim. He said, yo, we speak for 20 minutes? I said, first of all, it was under 20 minutes. And second of all, yes. Because my policy is, if what you're saying is interesting, you can speak for a long time. If you're boring, then one minute is too long. So it's not a question of how long, it's a question of how compelling and how interesting. Anyway, as you know well, that's my policy. So how long was this speech? 20 minutes is way too long, according to some. How long was this speech? The Orachayim HaKadosh says, Moshe Rabbeinu Ochiach has been Israel b'meshech shisha u'shloshim yom, a 36-day speech. That, my friends, is a long drasha. 20 minutes is nothing. 36 days straight. Because he began to speak to them on the first day of Shvat. It says, And he spoke to them until the day he died. What is his Yeratzai? When did Moshe Rabbeinu die on? Zion Adar, the seventh of Adar. So how long is that? How many days is that? 36 days. 36 day drasha. A 36 day shir. A 36 day lecture. And this is hinted to, says the Orachayim HaKadosh in this Pasuk. Eila Advam Ben Moshe Al Kol Yisrael. Eila is how much in Gematria? Come on, people. You shouldn't even have to calculate it. If I'm quoting it, it's for a reason. He spoke for 36 days. Eila is 36 in Gematria. It was a speech that lasted for 36 days. So I don't feel bad going for 20 Minutes. Now Rasha begins How did he allude to? How did he give the Musr in a subtle, nuanced way? Because he says, These were all places that things went wrong. These were all moments. These are allusions. These are references to places and times where things went wrong. If you want to maintain the dignity, there's a big lesson here. Some people think that you have to give Musr by shaming, by embarrassing, by calling out. But that's not the way to get a message across, not in our generation. We're a very soft generation. Maybe it worked in the past, arguably it never worked, certainly it doesn't work now. In our generation, and even in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, so we're going back, the way to get a message across is not harsh rebuke, frontal, direct, explicit, but subtle, gentle, soft, nuanced. So you see Sefer Dvarim is Sefer Musr. It is the first Musr Sefer in the, in the Jewish library. In fact, so much so, Utsu Blas quotes the Shlach HaKadosh. The Shlach HaKadosh, Nei Luchos Abris, Rav Yishai Levi Horowitz writes, Udu'u Banai, Every Musr Sefer that was destined to be written and authored from Mushim Bar Yochai in his Zohar 
to Shari Tshuva Rabbeinu Yona, to the Mesidus Hashem, the Ramchal, to Revolba, to every Musaf Sefer that was destined to be written, they all find themselves in the original. What's the OG Musaf Sefer? Sefer Advarim. So you have people who never learned Dvarim. They skip Shnai Mikra V'Echad Targum. They don't pay attention to the laning and shul for this whole book through this whole summer. And they skip right to what's the latest Musaf Sefer. Uah, I got to learn Rav, Rav Don Kestebaum. I've got to learn Rav, Rav Itchemeyer. I've got to learn Rav, Rav Volba. Don't skip Sefer Dvarim. Sefer Dvarim is the OG Musaf Sefer. It's the original. Says the Shla Kadosh, don't skip. In fact, it's said about the Yer Kadosh, the Yehudi Kadosh of Pshischa, that he would every day learn, not only through the summer when we're reading Sefer Dvarim, but he would every day learn some Psukim. In Yeshiva, they have a Musa Seder. It was a big debate when Rabbi Yisrael Salantar introduced the notion of learning and studying Musar, there was a lot of pushback. For us today, it's taken for granted. The most litvish yeshiva has a Musar Seder. You gotta learn Musar. Character development, character growth, self-improvement. But this movement was met with enormous pushback because where do we get our Musar? Said the original, said his contemporaries. Open the Gemara. Gemara Rashi Teisvis. Just open up. The Gemara, it's all in Chazal. Steiging Gemara all day long, you'll be good. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta said, but we see it's not working. There are people who steig all day long and they have terrible character. So we need to complement it with specifically the study of Musr. And today it's a standard, it's a given. Almost every yeshiva, you have to have a Musr Seder. And what do you learn in Musr Seder? You learn Sharei Tshuva, you learn Mesilas Yisharim, you learn Orchos Tzadikim, the classics. Said the Yira Kadosh Peshischa, you know what the great classic is? Sefer Dvarim. All year long, open up and learn Sefer Dvarim. It is the greatest. So when you go on vacation, after Tisha B'Av, you don't have to pack a suitcase of all the Musr All you need is Sefer Dvarim. It's all in there. It's all in there. That's all you need to learn during this time. In fact, the Siach Yitzchak quotes in Parshas Yisro, when they would ask the Shaul Meshiv, what Musar Sefer should you learn during Elul? You've got to get ready. He said the answer is embedded in the Navi Hoshea, who says, If you want to return to Hashem, all you need to take is, all you need to say for Dvarim. All you need to say for Dvarim, Hashem, that is the path, that is the way, that is how you come back to, to Hashem. And then he gets into Plaza Torah. Now, pages and pages of Musr Seder. Learning Musr, the origin of Musr, with Svarim or Musr Svarim. But the OG Musr Sefer, the original Musr Sefer is Sefer Dvarim. So, this Sefer we're about to learn, however, this is no longer the Pasha class. This is no longer Pasha perspectives for today, for the next few weeks, until we get to Rosh Hashanah. This is Musr Seder. We're going to be learning Musr together as we make our way through Sefer Dvarim. Now, there's an interesting thing about the words Eilah HaDvarim. And we've mentioned this in the past. You can listen to previous years. In the past, we did it through Rav Druk. Rav Druk and his Eish Tamid spoke about this. Many, many reference and mention this. And what is that? Eilah HaDvarim Asher Diber Moshe. These are the words that who spoke? Moshe. Now, isn't that interesting? We're printing the speeches. Dvarim, here is the great monologue, 36-day-long drasha. Here is the 36-day-long drasha that Moshe gave. 36 days long? Why is that fascinating? Because this is the same Moshe who said what? When Hashem recruits him and he says, No, I want you to be the spokesperson of the Jewish people. I'd like you to start a podcast. I'd like you to write an article. I want you to get a shul. I want you to be in Rabbanus. I want you to give a drasha. I'd like you to be a Rebbe in a classroom. I want you to be the Rosh Hashiva. I want you to be the leader, the Manig, who's going to liberate my people from Mitzrayim. And what does Masha Rabbeinu answer? He demurs. He hesitates. He resists. He says, uh, not me. Lo ish dvarim anochi. I'm not a public speaker. I don't have what it takes. Nisht for me. It's not for me. Lo ish dvarim anochi. I am not a man of words. And the Medrash notes, and the Medrash Kilu celebrates 
Here we have the beginning of the fifth book of the Torah. We go from the lo ish tvarim anochi, the person who said, I'm not a man of words, to 36 days long of words. Eila hadvarim asher diber Moshe. From lo ish tvarim anochi to eila hadvarim asher diber Moshe. How did it happen? How did it happen? How did he go from lo ish tvarim anochi to eila hadvarim? So, Last night at Camp Pass, my daughter's working there. She mentioned Rav Bender came. So that reminded me to open Rav Bender on a Chumash in preparing for today. So Rav Bender has a beautiful idea. He tells it through the story. After the Petira of Rabbeinah Finkel, there were a number of candidates to take over. Who was going to be the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir in Yerushalayim? His oldest son, Lord of Nasantzvi Finkel, was one of the biggest Masmidim in the Yeshiva, who was a huge Talmachacham, a in his outright. But some thought, you know, Rav Nasantzvi, you know where he grew up? Not in Yerushalayim. Where did he grow up in? Chicago. Chicago. How do you say that properly? Chicago. Where did he go to school? He was not, he was not uh, reluctant or hesitant. In fact, I once brought a group of teenagers from our community, and he asked them where they went to school, and he said, I went to Ira Crown. I went to Ida Crown. Ida Crown, uh, Ari Crown, Ida Crown. I went to a very similar school to you, and today I'm the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir. That's what he told them. He wasn't ashamed or embarrassed. And he uh, connected to other children who went to similar schools and talked about his journey. So there were those who protested. This American kid who grew up speaking English as his first language, who went to a uh, modern Orthodox school in Chicago, he was going to be the successor, the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir. It didn't take long for those who worked closely with him to become his great admirers. And the first Simchas Torah after Rabbeinish's passing, Rav Rafal Shmulevitz, whom some Tamidim assumed would be the successor, who was the natural choice, spent a good part of Hakafas dancing alone in front of Rav Nassim Svi. He was communicating, through his actions, a message to the Bachram of the Yeshiva that he viewed who would be the new Rosh Yeshiva, none other than Rav Nassim Svi. Years later, Rav Nassim Svi came into the Yeshiva, Chanukah Masiba, one of the high points of the year in Mir, an evening of Simcha Satora, Achtus between friends, shared celebration of and Talmidim. Rav Nassim Svi was clearly in pain, every step difficult. He had Parkinson's. It took incredible effort for him to arrive, to move, to come to the yeshiva, to meet, to speak, to communicate. The pain was visible. He, there were medications he could have taken that would have dulled the pain, but it would also dulled his senses. And he didn't want to diminish his ability to learn or to teach, to communicate or to lead, so he refused the medications. He suffered enormously so that he could continue to grow what is the largest yeshiva in the world today. The singing Talmidim watched him, their beloved Rosh Hashiva. Every one of them wondered, how is it possible? How did this man who faced such obstacles manage to learn and teach, say brilliant shirim and chaburos, maintain personal chavrusas with any bachar that asked? How did the weak, sickly tzaddik raise millions of dollars, travel and speak and meet donors? How did he grow the mirror to be the biggest yeshiva on the planet, probably in history? Rav Yitzvah Gezrachi speaks at the annual Masiba. In that year, he seemed to detect the unasked question hanging over the room. He raised the microphone and he roared out a pasuk from the Haftorah of Shabbos Chanukah. Lo v'chayel v'lo v'chawach kiim beruchi amar Hashem tzivakos. Not with strength and not with might, but with my spirit, said Hashem, Master of Legions. That was the answer and that was the explanation. Physical might has no connection with success. Strength has no bearing on the final result. You know what it is? Ruach, spirit, that's everything. A weak man emerged as one of the great builders of Torah in modern history, from our greatest leader who went, What is it? What's the secret? person who feels I'm frail, I have a speech impediment, I'm not an orator, I can't communicate, I can't do it. What's the answer? If you take on the achrayis, if you take on and you bear the responsibility, because Baruch Hu gives you the ruach. Baruch Hu gives you the spirit to be able to communicate. Sometimes you go to someone and you say, I have a job for you. I need you to share this project. I need you to take over this committee. I need you to work on this Mosad and this institution. I have somebody who's vulnerable. I need you to bear their plight. And they say, me, who am I, what am I? Say, start it, take it on, and you'll find that Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to give you what you need. If you accept the achrayis, the responsibility, Kodesh Baruch Hu gives you what you need. And that's how we go from lo ish tvarim anochi te'ilahadvarim. Now you wouldn't believe it. There's a Rosh Hashiva I was speaking to recently. Baruch Hashem, he's growing a beautiful, beautiful yeshiva. And he's a fantastic speaker. 
he gives incredibly high-level shiurim, and he also is able to communicate in a very compelling way to those who are not scholars. And he told me, he said, do you know, before he became a Rosh Hashiva, he was in finance. He worked in the area of finance before he decided he was going to go into Avodah Zakodesh. And he said, do you know, one of the reasons he didn't is he had an incredible fear of public speaking. He had an unbelievable fear of public speaking. At his own bar mitzvah, he had a fear of public speaking. And he described the many events of his life where he didn't speak publicly because he had a fear of public speaking. Today he's an orator. Today he's an incredible Rosh Hashiva teaching Torah every single day in a Rav. Why? Because lo v'chayev lo v'chayev beruchi, you can go from a lo ishtvarim anochi to eila hadvarim. How? When you take the achrayis, when you take the responsibility, Kodesh Baruch gives us the ruach, he gives us the, the spirit, Kodesh Baruch gives us the bracha to be able to fulfill. Pasuk Vav, next page. Hashem elokeinu diber elena b'chorov leimor rav lachem sheves baharazeh. So again, Moshe is embedding these nuanced Musr messages in these psukim by referencing places where things occurred. And we get to Pasuk Vav. Hashem, our God, spoke to us in Chorev saying, Enough! You can't live at this mountain forever. Ganuk, it's time to move on. Turn yourselves around the journey and come. Keep going, keep moving. It's time to move on. You've got to get going. What's going on in this Pasuk? What does it mean Hashem said, you're here long enough, it's time to move? So first of all, where is this place? Where is this place? He spoke to us where? Diberi Leinu? Bechorev. Where's Chorev? Where's Chorev? So the Otsuplosa Torah has four or five different explanations, interpretations, of what is Chorev. Lashon Churban, the Gemara Rashon Adarshans, Lama Nikra Har Chorev, why is Har Sinai, where we receive the Torah called Har Chorev? Sheyoda Churva Luma Saolam Alav, because there was a Churva that came to the nations of the world on that mountain. So it's called Chorev, number one. Number two, Lashon Cherev, the Medrash Mosrabah, Beshlosh Hashem Nikra Har the mountain is called by three names Har Ha'elokim, the mountain of God the greatest revelation in history, Har Chorev and Har Sinai. Chorev Lama, Shebo Nitnator, Shnikris Cherev. Roma was killed by Gronam, the Cherev Pipios Bi Adam. Those who are ambassadors, those who have Torah, Pasuk and Tilim says, Roman most Kelbi Gronam, the exalted words of Hashem are in our throat, and the double uh, edged sword is in our hand. So Torah is a double-edged sword. The sharpness of Torah is like a cherev, like a sword. So it's called har chorev. Number three, lashon chorev v'yavashos. Medivrei Evan Ibn Ezra, har chorev milashon yavashos. V'chein perish abar benel. V'nikra gam kein har chorev, midbar chorev. V'vnei yosa karv l'mitzrayim v'lo yamter shama. Gam ayor l'yagiyah shom l'ashkoz aretz. L'zaya makom yavesh. This was a dry, desolate land. The irrigation channels of Egypt didn't reach there. It was dried out, it was desert, it was desolate. And therefore, Chorev is Milashan Yabashan Mashalan of being Yavesh. It was dried out. Number four, Chorev, Osios Cherev, Vechaver, Lashlam Asadvaram, Derch Drush, Imros Hashem Mashalem. He says the following Cherev El Abadim Noalu, Alomda Bad Vivad. What do we call? Chorev is the same letters as Chaver. If you're learning the daf right now, you know. In Am Haaretz versus A. Chaver. Amaharetz is an ignoramus, and a chaver is a learned scholar. Chavrusa, chaver, cherev. So therefore, har chorev is the place of chaverim, a chaver. You have the yekas call, not a rav, he chaver. A chaver is a learned person. Smichas, chaver. So this is har chorev, are the same letters as chaver. So anyway, that is the mountain where Hashem spoke to us. And what was the message that he communicated there? The message he communicated there was, Rav lachem sheves baharazeh. It's enough. Genuk. You've been here long enough. It's time to move on. How long were we there? After we received the Torah, how long did we plant ourselves at that mountain? One year. We saw it in the Pasha class a few weeks ago. We were there for one year. Why was it time to move on? Rav lachem sheves. Why was it time to move on? So listen to Rav Sternbach. In his time Vadas, he says something phenomenal. Listen to what he says. You know what life was like at Har Sinai? Kolal. Kolal lifestyle. Sitting and steiging, sitting and learning. Everything's provided. Everything's taken care. You have the geshmak of sitting and learning. 
There's revelation, you feel connected, you're on a high, you're spiritually inspired. They didn't want to separate. They didn't want to come down from this high. It's been a fantastic Fabrengen. It's been a great Kumzit. It's been a wonderful Shabbaton. It's been an incredible summer. It's been a great year in Kolel. But this is not why I gave you the Torah. I didn't give you the Torah for you to live isolated and apart. I didn't give you the Torah to stay on this high. I didn't give you the Torah for you to transcend the physical world. I empowered you, I enriched you, and I charged you to take this Torah and go out and train and absolutely transform the world. I gave you the Torah not to hibernate. I gave you the Torah not to isolate. I gave you the Torah not to sit and live in pursuit of your own spiritual ambition. I gave you this Torah to go and repair and redeem my world. Go mold it and shape it in the image of our Torah. Go learn the Torah. Let the Torah mold you and shape you. Let the Torah get you ready and then go out. Recently, I was talking to a group of young people. Some want to go into Avodah Sakodesh and they said, what's the most important thing for me to be doing right now? So I'll be a great Rav, I'll be a great Rebbe in the future. I said, the most important thing for you to be doing right now, sit and steig. Learn and grow and prepare yourself. Yeah, there are other things you could do. Volunteer to, to fill in for Advar Torah. Write get into the habit of writing, but those are on the side. Your main objective right now is to prepare yourself. So one needs time, and it's a privilege to help those who need time before marriage or for a short time after marriage, sit and learn and grow and mold you, your family, to be a Torah family. But then that's not permanent. That's not forever. Hashem didn't give us that so that that's where we live. Rav lachem sheves baharazeh. You got to get up at some point. You got to depart the mountain. At some point, you got to take the Torah that you learned at the mountain, and it's time to take it out and take it with you. You have to go teach the world. You have to go model for the world. You have to go impact and influence the world. You have to go live in the world. Don't live alone and isolated. Spread out in every direction. Take the Torah and let the Torah influence the world. Torah sells itself. Go influence. Wherever your feet can take you, wherever you can go. This is the fate and destiny of the Jewish people. We are an Am Segula. Our mission is to be a nation of priests, a nation of preachers. Now we are all teachers. We said last week in the Pasha class, they were Talmidim of the Maraglim. Ah, Talmidim, they never learned in their class. We said everyone's a Rebbe, everybody's a Mora. Because when you live your life in business, in gym, at the supermarket, everywhere you go and everything that you do, how friendly, how courtesy you have, the honesty and integrity that you live with, we're all teachers. So the Torah was given not for us to live on the mountain forever. We don't set up and pitch a tent next to the mountain forever. We spend some time there. We were given a year. We sat at the mountain for a year. You have to sit and steig and learn. We spend 40 years in the Midbar sitting in a Kola lifestyle. <clears throat> That's even longer than a 36-day drusha. We sat and we learned for, for 40 years, but it's time for Klai Yisrael to go out. So there's a period of time, which is subjective, for each person and each generation, where we have to fortify ourselves and ensure that we're strong. You can't go out and teach, you can't go out and be a role model if you yourself are not fortified and strong. So the period of time to get strong, to learn, to grow, to be solid, and then to take it. Isn't it amazing, Rav Sternbach? Rav lachem sheves baharazeh. You've been here at the mountain. It's time, penu usu, turn and go journey. El kosh chenav, go see all the neighbors. Go baharava, baharava shvela, benegev v'chofayam, Go in every direction, bring that Torah and impact the world around you. We don't review it, but we said it last year, the Heilige Tefer Shlema, Shlema Radamsk, says the following, Rav Lacham Sheves Baharazeh. You know what you need? Not Sheves, but Shabbos. Shabbos. That even when you don't have a Beis HaMikdash, Shabbos is in time, what the Beis HaMikdash is in space. Rav Lacham Sheves, Rav Lacham Shabbos. You need Shabbos. How do you get back to Harsinai? Shabbos. 
How do you get back to the base of Mikdash even when we don't have it? Rav Lachem Sheves, Rav Lachem Shabbos. You can hear more about that in last year's. Turn the page 942. Pasuk Yud Gimel. <clears throat> so Moshe now, Moshe Rabbeinu is taking us through his uh, speech, through his Halegah TED talk to Klai Yisrael on their way into Eretz Yisrael. And he says to them the following. He says, what happens? We proliferated, we promulgated, there were a lot of you and there were a lot of issues that rose and it was time for judge, time for judges. I can't carry you all alone. Eicha, one of the three Eichas, we read it to the tune of Eicha. There's a lot to say, we have said, you can listen to previous years. So Moshe concluded, he listened to the advice of his shver, of his father-in-law Yisro, and he said, I can't do it alone, I have to delegate, I have to delegate. I have to find worthy men. What were worthy men? Anashim chachamim univonim v'yiduim l'shivteichem v'asimim b'rashichem. I'll find worthy men and distinguished men, wise men, understanding men, well-known, and I'll appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, you, you the people said, oh, it's a good idea, we're in. So I took the heads of your tribes, and I established them, and I created a hierarchy and a system, and so on. Says Rabbi Salavechik, says the Rav in the Rav Chumash. The first chapter of the book of Dvarim details the march towards the conquering of the land of Israel. In this pasuk, the theme abruptly changes to a conversation that took place between Moshe and B'nai Israel regarding the appointment of judges and the institution of a system of justice. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu deviate? He's describing we came out of Mitzrayim, had miracles, we got the Torah at our Sinai, we were marching right to Eretz Israel. Oh, by the way, let me just take a detour and let me just talk about judges and justice and leadership. Why? Why is Moshe Rabbeinu interjecting that here he was just retelling the story of the march towards Eretz Israel to the land of Israel? So says Rav Soloveitchik, says the Rav, in this Pasuk Moshe asked the people for recommendations. Who might be the most appropriate candidates for the judgeship? He later gave the newly appointed judge instructions how to act in their positions, emphasizing to the nation as a whole the importance of following the Torah when they enter the land. Only after these instructions did the march toward the land of Israel resume. Moshe interrupted his narrative with a seemingly tangential point. Why? Listen carefully. Because the prerequisite for entry into the land was the institution of a system of justice. You have to see the Haftorah on our Parsha as well. This is the message of the three weeks. Kodesh Baruch Hu did not throw us out of the Beis HaMikdash and did not throw us out of the land because we weren't keeping Shabbos properly, because we weren't shuckling enough in our Shemona Esrei, because we weren't being makbed enough in our Hechsherim. All those are critically important and we don't diminish them whatsoever and we have to be vigilant and scrupulous with them. But they were not the reason or the cause of the Chorban. What was the cause of the Chorban? A failure of justice. We failed to defend the widow, the orphan. We didn't stand up for the underprivileged. We didn't fight for justice. This sequence provides the blueprint, says the Rav, for the coming of Mashiach as well. And this is the historical precedent, is the rationale for the sequence of the brachas of Shmon Esrei. So you ready? A little bonus sitter snippet for you. After initially laying out the individual needs, forgiveness, health, sustenance, Shmon Esrei addresses itself to the Jewish people's communal redemption. After the request for the ingathering of the exiles in Tekab Shofar, it would have seemed logical to transition immediately to the bracha of Vali Yushalayim. You ever wonder? We'll repeat this in Siddur snippets. But why do we go from Tekab Shofar Gadol Lachir Hashem, gather us all together from the four corners of the globe, Nefesh Benefesh, bring us together. Where should we go right from there to? Vali Yushalayim Ircha, as Semach David. Hashem rebuild Yerushalayim. Hashem let the Davidic dynasty blossom and sprout again. Let the Beis HaMikdash be built. Let Mashiach come. But we don't. In between Tkab Shofar and Vilushalayim HaSemach, what are we daven for? What are we daven for? We daven for justice. We daven for justice to defeat those who oppose it. And we triumph for those who are righteous. We daven for justice. Why? Because the root to redemption is through justice. The root to redemption is through justice. You cannot have, no matter how pious, no matter how seemingly righteous, 
if you have a generation that is neglecting righteous, uh, justice, is not standing up for justice, then you will not have redemption. The route to redemption is through justice, and that's why Lama Li Rav Zivchecham Yomer Hashem. That is the Haftorah. What is the Haftorah? In this Shabbos Chazon, the third of the Haftorahs of, of, uh, of the Gimel de Puranusa, because Baruch Hu says, Lama Li Rav Zivchecham Yomer Hashem. Rabbi Salavitchik writes on this on our Torah. Secular historians state that the prophets negated the institution of sacrifices and priestly office. Why? Because the Navi says, Yeshayahu ben, ben Amot says, Lama li rov What do I need all your sacrifices for? So historians, secular historians say, you see, the days of sacrifices are over. Sacrifices are archaic and outdated. But they're wrong. The prophets, they say, wish to abrogate ceremonial religiosity in toto. These assumptions are based on falsehood and hatred of Jewish people rooted in early Christianity. The prophets never fought against the institution of sacrifice in itself. They never intended to strip Judaism of the forms of, of uh, Beis HaMikdash. Yirmiyahu chastised Jewish people so much for the proliferation of sacrifices mourned the destruction for many days. In Eicha, he emphasizes strenuously that the abrogation of sacrifice and festival was an extremely tragic event. Yeshaya, who shouted, Lamali rov zivchechem, prophesize the day when the Beis HaMikdash will stand at the head of all the mountains. So no prophet ever rose up against the Beis HaMikdash. Chas v'shalom. This Pasuk is not meant to be understood the way these historians did. This is not an abrogation or rejection of the Korbanos of the Beis HaMikdash. So what did he mean? Yeshaya, when he said, Lama li rov What did he mean? They protested against the view that man's world is divided into two domains, the secular and the sacred. That within the former man is free to behave as he desires, without subjecting himself to the yoke of commandment and duty. They protested against the human being who wanted Hashem not to intervene in his private affairs and public conduct. They protested against the view that it's only in the second domain, the sacred, that, Hashem, that man has to serve Hashem. And that as long as one discharges one's cultic obligations, all is well. The prophets did not tolerate the outlook, which says that Hashem requires only one region to be consecrated to His name, only one region in which man is to be unburdened himself as the yoke. They protested against discontinuity between the secular and sacred. They opposed a strange leap from the secular to sacred, from the defiled to the pure. Lamali Rosevchecha meant you can't shuckle and have a long shmonasra, you can't wear outwardly religious garb, and you're rude and discourteous and dishonest and cruel and unjust. What's the point of all of that if you don't know how to treat each other? What's the point of all of your relationship with me? You're going to seem so righteous and self-righteous in your relationship with me and the way that you treat my other children. You're cruel. You're unkind. You're mean-spirited. You're vengeful. You're judgmental. No way. Lama Rav Zivchechem. Oh, thank you. Lama Rav Zivchechem. You don't understand what it's really all about. So Rav Salavechik, both in the Haftorah and the words of Yeshaya, as well as in this Pasuk. Why does he say, Why did Moshe detour? He was talking about our march towards Eretz Yisrael. And the answer is, the march towards Eretz Yisrael has to pass through where? Justice. And that's why in the Amidah, the march between Tekab Shofar, in between the gathering of the exiles and Yushalayim and Asamach David, has to go through Shiva Shavtenu Kevarishona. Restore justice. We long for the restoration of justice. And how do we have justice? Aleph Tezayin. So once I recruited, once Moshe identified the candidates to be the leaders in this hierarchy, those who would be trained for and fight for justice, he gives them a message. Oh, he gives them a, a message. And what's the message? I commanded your shoftim in that time saying, Listen, I can't listen to everyone. My listening will be compromised if I try to do it all myself. I need to delegate. He listened and judged righteously between your brother and a, and a, and a litigant. When there are two people who are having a conflict, listen and judge favorably. On this Pasuk, Moshe is encouraging those who serve as judges, don't rush to conclusions. Don't rush to judgment. Don't make assumptions. Listen attentively and discerningly and arrive at the truth. If you're 
you know, busy uh, texting, you're scrolling, you're not really listening, you're not really fully present, you're not hearing both sides. The Gemara Sanhedrin of Zion learns from here, Amar Bechanina, Azhar Labezdin, Shalayishma Divrei Baldin, Kodem Sheva Baldin Chavero, Viazhar Labaldin, Shalayatim Dvar Ladayin Kodem Sheva Baldin Chavero, Kore Beina Mishama Beina Chechem. The Gemara Sanhedrin learns from our Pasuk that judges are forbidden from hearing one side unless it's in the presence of the other side. You have to hear both sides. You're not allowed to listen to one side unless the other one is present. Why not? I once participated in a Din Torah. I wasn't one of the litigants, nor a Dayan, but I was asked to uh, speak on behalf of someone. And the other litigant was late to arrive. And the Dayanim refused to begin the proceedings until the second litigant, to the great consternation of the other litigant, who was giving up time, and time is money. But this is the halacha we follow still today, that you're not allowed to listen to one side unless the other side is present. Why? Why is that? It seems very inefficient. It's a waste of time. Whoever's there first, start speaking. When the other one gets here, he'll speak. We divide them up. Hear one one time, one the other time. It's very inefficient. So the Maharal, as Nesiv Olam and Nesiv Hadin, explains based on a principle that first impressions are incredibly powerful. When you listen to one side of a story, it penetrates and it leaves an impression upon us and it creates an enormous burden on the other to have to uproot the original impression that we have. Now, somebody's got to speak first. Someone's going to have that privilege and opportunity. But if you have to tell your side of the story in front of the other person who's sitting there, you're going to be a lot more thoughtful and careful. You're going to be less brazen and chutzpidik in how you communicate your side of your side of the story. Whoever lays down the anchor, now the conversation is going to revolve around whoever told their side of the story first. So that is the halacha. The halacha is, you can't hear one side unless the other one is, in fact, present. And while most of us are not judges in the legal sense, but we sit in judgment all the time. We judge the people we meet, and we judge the institutions, the organizations, the schools we're connected with, and we judge the stories people tell us, and we issue judgment about motivations and intentions all around us. We may not formally be judges, but we are all sitting in judgment regularly. And we have to remember this din, the Gemara Sanhedrin, from our Pasuk, that don't just follow your first impression. It's not necessarily always true. Be discerning, listen intently, be mindful, be fully present, be fair. Don't rush to judgment. Be present. Bikiva Eger was one of the greatest Rabbanim of the 18th century, early 19th century. His tshuvas, the chidushim of Bikiva Eger, they're learned in every yeshiva around the world. And he writes, that whenever he disagreed with someone, with anyone in life, in learning or in life, he would always begin by assuming they're correct to represent their opinion in his mind and see whether there was an argument compelling enough to go against it. He began, not I'm right, they're wrong. He began, oh, you disagree? Let's assume you're right. Let me now see if my argument is enough to offset yours. We know Beiselel and Beishamai were great intellectual adversaries. They debated and argued all the time. We paskin like Beis Hillel. Why do we paskin like Beis Hillel? The Gemara in Erev and Daphne Gimel tells us, even though Beis Shammai were smarter, Beis Shammai did better on the SATs. I don't know if they stopped giving him in his time because it was no longer merit-based to get into the yeshiva, but Beis Shammai was much smarter. Beis Shammai were mechadad in They were more brilliant, they were sharper, they were smarter. So why do we follow Beis Hillel? So the Gemara tells us, you know why? Beis Hillel always listened to the opinion of Beis Shammai before forming their own. When you listen to someone else's opinion, you're smarter. Your opinion is more informed. You're not always right. You don't have a monopoly on the truth. Your first impression is not necessarily correct. Hear what other people have to say and hear it with an open mind. Hear it not based on the anchor of your first impression. Hear both sides before coming to a decision. So as we, during this time, especially these three weeks, we shouldn't rush to judgment. We shouldn't sit in judgment. We should hear other sides and other impressions. We're not necessarily always right. I have a great story that goes along with this, but I want to get back to the Parsha and cover more, more ground. So for another time. Perak Aleph Pasuk Lamed Beis. Skip ahead. Bottom of page 944. And here the Parsha moves on. Moshe Rabbeinu's monologue moves on 
So the mission of the spies, the mission of the spies. Moshe Rabbeinu is reviewing, he's recounting Jewish history until that point. And significant seminal in Jewish history, changed our history forever, we continue to reel from it, was the failed mission of the spies. And he says, I told you and uh, spies and I recruited and I sent you out. And on this matter, you do not believe in Hashem, your God. On this matter, you do not believe in Hashem. What does it mean on this matter? Rav Zuckerman. Rav Zuckerman and his slave Mordechai. Rav Mordechai Zuckerman was a Rav in Givat Shaul, was one of the last uh, Talmidim of the Chavetz Chaim. On said teen mission, when I brought a group of teens to meet with Rav Nosson Svi Finkel, Zatzal, we also met with Rav Zuckerman. And he told personal stories of the Chavetz Chaim he had with the Chavetz Chaim. It was amazing. Anyway, in his Lev Mordechai, he writes, When it came to this thing, you didn't believe. Hashem said, I'm marching into the land. You came back and you said, but they're giants, but the fruit of Vig will never conquer. We can't go. Moshe Rabbeinu says, regarding this matter, you had a breakdown, a failure of Emuna. And says Rav Tzukerman, It's possible, a person lives his entire life, a believer. You go to the Emuna Shir, you zog Tehillim, you have the longest Shemona Esrei, you say, You're a big believer, a big maimon. You read all the books about Amuna, talk about Amuna, you learn about Amuna, you practice Amuna, you live Amuna. But then what happens? And then all of a sudden, life gets tough. Now you've got a particular crisis in health, in finance, in Shaduchim, in fertility, in the way someone treated you. All of a sudden, the going gets tough. What happened to the Gresa Amuna Mensch? What happened to all the Amuna talk and learning and newsletters and shear and books and talk? We have to live our life and know there'll be a badavarazeh. There's going to be that moment. Where's your Amuna in this moment? Someone hurt you. They said something. Financially, the economy's turned. Interest rates are up. Inflation. Business is dried up. This is your moment. This is it. All those Shemona Esrei's all those Amuna Shiurim, all the Amuna talk, it was all important, it was all lovely, but it was all to get to this moment. Badavar hazeh. What's your Badavar hazeh? Zekol avoda sa'adam ba'olamo. Said Rav Tzukerman, this is the essence, the totality of all of your, of all of avoda sa'adam. This is what it means to be an Eved Hashem. Can we remain on that level? Will we lean into the Amuna? Do we talk the talk and walk the walk, even when we're in a difficult situation? Or, Amuna, 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 stubbed your toe, there's no God. Amuna, 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 Wi-Fi slow, there's no God. Amuna, Amuna, the flight was canceled, there's no God. Or much bigger than that, Amuna, 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 we're struggling financially, there's no God. What is our Badavarazeh? These, they came out of Mitzrayim, they saw miracles, they stood at Arsina, they got the Torah, they sat and they shtaged for a year in Kailal afterwards, emuna, 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 and all of a sudden with the Miraglim, they lost all the emuna in that one moment. When is our davar hazeh? That's when we've got to rise to the occasion, to lean in and to realize this is what's meant to be, this is when our emuna is being tested, this is when we have to rise to that to that level. Gambi is enough. Moshe Rabbeinu here talking about the Meraglim then says something very peculiar. What does he say? Perek. Aleph Pasuk Lamed Zayin. Turn the page. 946. He says, you know, the failure of the Meraglim, Hashem said, you can't go in. You've got to wander. And you know who else didn't get to go in because of you? You know who else didn't get to go in? Me. Hashem also got angry at me because of what you did. Moshe, you're also in timeout. You also don't get to go in. Zagdrashi, Gambi, Nismale Rogas. Hashem got angry. And I also didn't get to go in because of what you did. 
Everybody asks. Is that what happened? A little historical revisionism, no, Moshe? If you're Klal Yisrael, you say, look, I'll bear responsibility for what I did wrong. I got it. The subtle Musr, the not-so-subtle Musr, we deserve it, we'll take it. But come on, Moshe, be fair. Why didn't Moshe get to go into the land? What happened? Because of? Meimariva. He hit the rock instead of speaking to it. So what do you mean, Gambi? Now Moshe's blaming them? That doesn't seem or feel very fair at all. Or Achayim HaKadosh asks this, the Ramban asks this, the Klayakar asks this, they all ask it. The Ramban says, how? Where? When, I, when was Hashem upset at Moshe about the Meraglim? So the Ramban says, he meant Hashem upset at you for the Meraglim and me for Meim Meriva. He didn't mean, Gam Bihisanaf, Hashem was also angry at me, Big Lachem, you, because of the Meraglim, me, because of Meim Meriva. He wasn't really lumping them together. The Ramban suggests a way that you have to reread it. The Rechaim HaKadosh doesn't accept that. Because the Psukim go on talking about the Meraglim, so the Rechaim HaKadosh gives a different answer. The Kliyakar gives yet a different answer. Had they not been in the Midbar for 40 years, what would have, the episode of Meimariva never would have happened. If they would have marched right in like they were meant to do, they never would have been thirsty. Hashem would have never said, speak to a rock. Moshe never would have failed by hitting it. He never would have been excluded because of that episode. So Moshe doesn't mean to blame them that the episode of the Meraglim is the reason he couldn't go in. Moshe is just saying that the episode of the Meraglim derailed the entire timeline and it allowed for the Meimariva to happen. And that's why I didn't get to go in, says, says uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Kliakar has another answer and uh, Rav Druk has an answer. I have a Chiddush, I have my own answer, but I'll save it for next year because I want to get more in. I have my own answer. What did Moshe Rabbeinu mean? Gam bi hisanaf. I have my own creative answer. I'm pretty proud of it. For another time, Salavechik has an answer. Should we see Rav Salavechik's? Gam bi hisanaf. Moshe suffered an account of the children of Israel. Torah emphasizes it several times. Yet in what regard were the people responsible for Moshe's chait? If the chait consisted of hitting the rock instead of addressing words to it, Moshe was responsible. So the Rav Salavechik gives an answer too. You can look it up inside. We'll save that for next year. He has, he has a beautiful answer too. But I want to move along. Perak Beis Pasa Gimel. You got to get to the second parak. We got to get to the second parak. <clears throat> we turned and we journeyed. Vanefen Vanisa Midbara Derech Yamsuf Kasher Diver Hashem Elai Vanasa Vesar Seir Yamim Rabim. We journeyed towards Har Seir many days. And this is a message I want to share with you. It's not my own, it's from the Kliakar. And we can argue it's debatable, the message, but this is the Kliakar's insight, maybe very relevant to our generation. We turned and we journeyed towards Har Seir. Who inherited Har Seir? Esav. Good. Says the Kliakar here, Pnu Lachem Tzafona. Pnu Lachem Tzafona. Perek Pei's Pasa Gimel, sorry. Vayom HaShem Elai Lemor, Rav Lachem Soves Haharazeh, Enough of your circling this mountain, turn northward. And you are passing through the boundary of your brother, the children of Esav, who lives in Seir. They will fear you. They will fear you, but you should be very careful. But you should be very careful. What was the message of the Kliyakar here on this episode? Otsar plus Torah quotes the Kliyakar. You can look at the Kliyakar inside. He says the following: Pasuk Zenoka Viyored Ad Tahom, Viyishbo Remes L'Shaul Adoros, Inyanat Safona Zanirali. What does it mean? You're circling around here too long. Turn Safona. Shem Yimsa Isha Yisraeli Begalas Hachal Hazeh Eza Atzlacha Ziersham Yatminu Viyatspinu Akol Befne Esav. If you're living among, if you're dispersed in the exile among Esav, you need to turn. Tzafona. The word Tzafona, what is Tzafun? At the Seder. Tzafun means hidden. It's time to hide. What are you hiding? There is no people who are as jealous of the Jewish people as Esav. Because after all, Esav and his descendants believe 
that Yaakov stole the bracha, and Yaakov's children have stolen everything that Esav deserved. V'chen Yaakov tziva levanav lama tisra'u, Rashi says, b'fnei b'nei Yisrael ve'esav, kilu atem sveim, shneim sovereign sh'yitzchak gazal atzlachas yishmal. Because the descendants of Yishmael believe that their uncle Yitzchak stole everything that Yishmael was supposed to get. And the descendants of Esav believe that uncle Yaakov stole everything that Esav was supposed to get. So the Kliyakar says, you want to know how to survive the Galas? Modesty and humility. Be understated. Let your affluence, wealth, and prosperity be hidden. Says the Kliyakar Rav Lunchitz, writing 100 years ago, 150 years ago, that this is the opposite of what Jews are doing in our time. The Jew who has a modest amount lives beyond their means with clothing and jewelry and vacations and homes and ostentatiousness that is eliciting the jealousy in the ire of the nations that host us. This Pasuk is telling us, when you live among Har Esav, when you're circling Har Seir, penu lachem tzafona. Turn inward, be understated, be modest, don't be ostentatious, don't be in the face of our host nation. Says the Klayakar, this is the cause of all of the distress that we find. And those who are enlightened will listen and accept this musr. Don't be ostentatious. Don't take the affluence and flaunt it in the face of others. Be understated, because when you elicit the jealousy, that is when anti-Semitism is on the rise. And the Kliyakar, similar to what the Kliyakar here writes, the Otsar Plos HaTorah says, when we flaunt our wealth, so he says an incredible thing that's quoted in the Sefer Peleyotz, the name Abravanel. Where did Don Yitzchak Abravanel get his name? She had such a ring. The Abravanel's wife, it was 20 carats, clarity, what are all the, color, cut, thank you, cut, color, clarity, carats, alamilis. The Abravanel's wife wore such a ring that everyone around her said, birivo inalia, which means, evan shall covered. Abravanel, what a ring. Vizegaram grushsvarad. And the Peleyoet says, it was the ring on the Abarbanel's wife's finger. And the Abarbanel, we know, was in the courtyard of the king. So royalty and all the non-Jews of Spain saw the ring on his wife's finger. And that's what led to the expulsion of the Jews from Spain. The jealousy, the envy, the hatred, that's what led to it. The Peleyoets, we're not blaming the wife, we're blaming the Abarbanel who brought, bought the ring for his wife. So that no one, save the emails, we're not blaming her. I don't know how much her shaitel cost. I don't know how much her dress cost. I don't know how much the ring cost. But there's a huge caution. And again, you could debate. There are those who say those days are over. Jews have nothing to fear. No shame. We're strong. We're proud. We belong. We deserve. It's an interesting debate. It's an interesting question. But the Kliyakar, and the Peleyoites are literally attributing the hostility of enemies to when we flaunt ostentatiously in their face our wealth and prosperity beyond what we should. The Sefer Orchaz Yosher, not the Reb Chaim, Reb Yitzchak Molcho, a different Orchaz Yosher, who lived in Salamaka, he writes, he too, he was from Salonika, he suffered the expulsion from Spain, and he said, all this happened. Eishas Yitzchak Abravanel, Shehachal Beis HaMerchat, Tivoso Yom Hochagam Eishas HaMelech, 
They were at the spa. She was there the same day as the queen. The queen saw her jewelry. If the queen was jealous of her jewelry, that is the cause, that was the tradition. That was what precipitated and led to the expulsion. Wild, wild. But the message, the lesson maybe is clear. And he quotes the Takana of the Vad Arba Artsos, about when we live among the nations, how to behave and not to elicit the jealousy and the envy and the anger of the nations among whom we live. Torah then tells us to be careful with Moab. Why should we be careful with Moab? The Chizkuni says, it's a crazy Chizkuni. Don't aggravate Moab, says the Chizkuni. Why was Moshe saying this? Moshe says, I'm going to be buried there. I'm spending eternity there. So be nice when it comes to Moab because I'm going to be interred there for a very, very long time. And lastly, we didn't get to Og. Og Melech Habashan. Where did he get his name, Og? Otsaplos Torah has pages and pages on Og Melech Habashan. We'll save it in Mirza Shem for next year. Have a fantastic day. Thanks again for the flexibility. Wednesday morning, we're on for Living with Amuna. Wednesday night, our guest on Bain Nabima, Rabbi Dr. Meir Salavechik. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.